This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. We are here today to consider nominees for three important positions. Ambassador Todd Robinson to be Assistant Secretary of State for International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs. Ambassador Daniel Quittenbrink to be Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs. And Mr. Brett Holmgren to be Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence and Research. So congratulations to the three of you and your nominations. We appreciate your commitment and willingness to serve our country and your families as well. Ambassador Robinson, it's nice to have you back before this committee for another confirmation hearing, this time as a nominee to lead the Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs, as we know as INL, one of the most important offices for strengthening democratic governance and the rule of law globally. INL's work around the world is critical to countering narcotics trafficking, criminal syndicates, money laundering, and other financial crimes, addressing the criminal use of ransomware and malware, combating illegal mining and fishing, and supporting efforts to combat gender-based violence. Over the last decade, authoritarian leaders have increasingly wielded criminality and kleptocracy as tools to debilitate democracy at home and foment instability beyond their borders. I welcome President Biden's recent directive establishing the fight against kleptocracy as a key national security priority and making it clear that we will tackle its corrosive impact. INL has a central role to play in that fight. INL is also at the forefront of our international efforts to combat narcotics trafficking. CDC data shows that over 70,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2019, including over 2,800 in my home state of New Jersey. I'm particularly concerned about the lethal impact of fentanyl, as well as the illicit production and trafficking routes that extend through Mexico and back to China. While we must improve our public health responses to address drug abuse domestically, INL's work is essential to countering drug trafficking by transnational criminal organizations. So I look forward to hearing from you about your vision for the Bureau and your plans for strengthening justice systems and law enforcement cooperation to advance our national security interests. Ambassador Crittenbrink, uh, I'm also pleased to have you back before this committee for another confirmation hearing. Uh, I think the last time we saw each other was in China, and your post there, your career as a public servant and your extensive experience in the region will be critical as you take on this important role. In recent years and under administrations and congresses of both parties, the United States has reassessed and rebalanced our approach to the Indo-Pacific to take into account the reality of our competitive relationship with China. Although this new era of strategic competition may not be what many of us had hoped for in the U.S.-China relationship, it is our reality, and we must deal with it with clear-eyed pragmatism, starting with rebuilding and replenishing the sources of our national strength here at home and our alliances and partnerships abroad. The recently passed Senate-China Competition Package, including the Strategic Competition Act that uh, the ranking member and I and other members of this committee authored, marks our effort to contribute to that process. Beyond China, the region you'll be responsible for is rich with pressing challenges, from North Korea's nuclear and missile programs, which only grew stronger under President Trump's ill-conceived North Korea policy, to a coup, a coup plunging Burma back into chaos, to a rollback in human rights and democracy across the region. I know that you're intimately familiar with these issues, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts and how we can best position the United States for success there in the years ahead. Mr. Holmgren, uh, the independent analysis of the State Department's Bureau of Intelligence and Research has long been recognized 
as among the best, most reliable, and most careful of the intelligence community. We have today a nominee for the Assistant Secretary of INR that brings a great breadth of experience to its mission. Mr. Holmgren has held significant experience relevant to INR's mission, including serving as a Senior Director for Intelligence and for Counterterrorism at the National Security Council, as well as service at the Central Intelligence Agency and the Pentagon. I have little doubt that such experience would be of immense benefit to the State Department Bureau. INR is an invaluable resource for the Secretary of State, senior officials, and department overall. Indeed, the Bureau could also be of immense benefit to this committee. Our oversight of the U.S. foreign policy would be better served by more regular contact and briefings from INR, and I look forward to that engagement with you should you be confirmed, something that has been missing in the past, and I hope under your leadership we can engage with the committee more robustly. In closing, the three of you have an immense task ahead, but I have no doubt about your knowledge and experience will serve you well and the nation well as you take on these new responsibilities. I look forward to each of your testimony. Let me turn to the ranking member for his opening remarks. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, certainly these are important nominations we're hearing today. Uh, it, uh, there's a broad swath of responsibility here and uh, important responsibility. My Personally, my uh, top two foreign policy priorities are China and global health. Regarding China, my main concerns are the Chinese Communist Party's aggression and coercion in the Indo-Pacific and the urgency of the Taiwan issue. To counter uh, Chinese aggression, I believe we must ensure that the State Department is appropriately resourced in terms of funding and personnel in the Indo-Pacific. I'm interested to hear from you if confirmed plans to advocate for this critical region in, this, uh, in the State Department budgeting process. Additionally, our network of alliances and partnerships is key to advancing a free and open Indo-Pacific. The U.S. security commitments, including extended deterrence and commitments to help allies and partners develop advanced capabilities, are crucial to this effort, and it is important we remember U.S. policy will only be successful if we work closely with our allies. Also, I'm particularly concerned about Chinese aggression against Taiwan. Taiwan is an important democratic partner, and how we support and work with Taiwan will have significant implications for our strategy in the region and our alliance system. Taiwan must be a main focus of the administration and the State Department. Regarding global health, the Indo-Pacific region is in great need of more COVID-19 vaccines, especially given China's aggressive vaccine diplomacy. Supporting our partners as well as countries in need during this global health crisis will be a mark of U.S. commitment to the region. Finally, I believe it would be a mistake to use U.S. taxpayer uh, dollars to buy and distribute Chinese vaccines. Moving on to the nomination of Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence and Research, I am concerned about reports of directed energy attacks against State Department uh, personnel uh, both abroad and here at home. This has been widely written about, uh, greatly discussed, but the amount of information available is uh, pretty de minimis. The Bureau of Intelligence and Research will play an important role on, in helping to identify the perpetrator and the means of these attacks. The Assistant Secretary also has a responsibility to provide our committee and the Intelligence Committee with up-to-date information on all investigations into these attacks. If confirmed, I expect to be in regular contact on this important issue. In addition to supporting the intelligence needs uh, of the Secretary of State, INR must also work closely with the intelligence community. It is imperative that the Bureau maintain its analytical independence from policymakers within the State Department to ensure information is objective and accurate. 
Finally, the nomination of Assistant Secretary of State for uh, in International Narcotics and Law uh, and Law Enforcement Affairs. Transnational criminal organizations, money laundering and trafficking of people, narcotics and weapons undermine international stability and pose complex threats to U.S. public health and security. INL plays an important role in improving the capacity of our foreign partners to disrupt and dismantle transnational criminal activity. But these efforts do not exist in a vacuum. I'm concerned about the negative impact the administration's decision to reduce our military presence in Afghanistan will have on narcotics production and associated criminal activities, including funding terrorism. I'm also concerned that the administration's open borders policy has incentivized record-breaking waves of illegal migrants and undermined U.S. efforts to improve governance, security, and economic prosperity in Mexico and in the northern Central uh, America. I look forward to hearing plans you have to overcome these and other international law enforcement challenges should you be confirmed. We have a lot to cover today, and uh, with that, I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Risch. Well, with that, we'll start uh, with our nominees and their testimony. All of your full records will be included in the, in the uh, I'm sorry, your full statements will be included in the record. We ask you to summarize in about five minutes or so so we can have a uh, conversation with you. Uh, we'll start with uh, Ambassador Robinson and work our way down. Thank you. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today as the nominee to be the Assistant Secretary of State for International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs. I am honored by President Biden's nomination and the support of Secretary Blinken for the opportunity to continue to serve the American people. I would like to take the opportunity to recognize the support of my friends, colleagues, and most importantly, my family, my mother, Willetta Bacot, and my brothers, Mark Robinson and Jeffrey Bacot. Their encouragement has been invaluable to me. The Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs, INL, which I called home for three and a half years as a Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, is a key component in protecting the American people by countering crime and supporting the rule of law to maintain stability abroad. I look forward to the possibility of leading my foreign service, civil service, contractor, and local staff INL colleagues working in Washington and more than 90 countries. If confirmed, I commit to working with Congress to tackle the great challenges laid out in the President's national security agenda, including combating narcotics trafficking, addressing transnational organized criminal threats, corruption, and cybercrime, countering uh, Chinese malign influence, and tackling issues of bias and discrimination in criminal justice systems. Stopping illegal drugs like synthetic opioids from reaching America will be among my highest priorities. We know some terrorist organizations traffic drugs to fund their illicit activities. Transnational criminal organizations have seemingly limitless appetites for illicit profits from synthetic drugs. If confirmed, I will prioritize INL's critical engagement with partners and allies to combat this threat. Transnational criminal organizations are not static, so INL cannot be either. Working with our interagency partners, such as the Departments of Justice and Homeland Security, INL can lead the effort to ensure that our programs are better coordinated and show results. 
Example, after the People's Republic of China scheduled fentanyl as a regulated chemical class in 2019, direct flows of fentanyl from the PRC to the United States dropped precipitously. However, non-fentanyl opioids and precursor chemicals continue to flow from the PRC to Mexican criminals that manufacture the fentanyl and traffic it to the United States. If confirmed, I will prioritize continued diplomatic engagement at all levels to decrease the shipment of these precursors from the PRC and to reinvigorate shared security cooperation between the United States and Mexico. In fact, U.S.-Mexico cooperation must continue to address another high-priority issue, the management of migration across the region and to the U.S. southern border. Strategic thinking and, da and data will help us address irregular migration and build a smarter border. INL is working closely within the administration to shape a Central America, Central America root causes strategy to look at the drivers of this migration. I know this, this topic is a high priority to members of the committee, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on how we can make our foreign assistant dollars more effective on this issue. If confirmed, if confirmed, I vow to respond to these complex challenges using the experience gained and relationships built over my 35-year Foreign Service career. Another global challenge we confront today is corruption. Simply put, corruption kills. I saw its effects in Guatemala where political, economic, and social elites, at times working with criminal organizations, by judges, and threaten independent and courageous judicial actors. I saw it in Venezuela, where the Maduro regime reaps ill-gotten profits by selectively distributing food and pillages that nation's natural resources. As President Biden and Secretary Blinken have noted, corruption undermines U.S. foreign policy and national security interests around the world and damages the credibility of countries where U.S. businesses may want to invest. INL, with our interagency partners, acts as a bulwark against global corruption, and if confirmed, I would seek to enhance this work by identifying like-minded crime fighters around the world, build their capacity to prevent, investigate, and prosecute corruption, and reinvigorating multilateral global anti-corruption networks. INL can also use rewards and visa restrictions to promote accountability for corrupt actors globally. If confirmed, I commit to working with the Congress on advancing America's interests at home and abroad. Thank you for this opportunity, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Mr. Holmgren? Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, and members of the committee, it is an honor to appear before you today as the nominee to be Assistant Secretary of State, the Bureau of Intelligence and Research. I am deeply grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for the confidence they have placed in me and to Director of National Intelligence of Real Haines for supporting my nomination. I would not be here today if it were not for the love and support of my family, my wife Dana, my son Teddy, my parents Michael and Mary, and my siblings Stacy, Krista, and Ryan. Each of them has inspired me to live my life with a sense of purpose, love, and humility. Like many Americans of my generation, the tragic events of 9-11 were a turning point in my life. I left my home state of Minnesota 18 years ago to pursue a career in public service, to defend the freedoms 
values, and liberties we all cherish. I came to Washington with a sense of optimism and a deep and abiding belief in the ideals of this country, that America is a force for good in the world, and that all men and women are created equal with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those ideals derive from my upbringing in Minnesota, where I was surrounded by family who believed deeply in the role of public service. Both of my grandfathers were World War II veterans, and my parents, both of whom were public school teachers for 40 years, instilled in my siblings and me the importance of service. I still share that same sense of optimism and commitment to public service that I brought with me to Washington two decades ago. While I may be a new face to members of this committee, I have a long uh, track record of working on intelligence and foreign policy issues. As an analyst, first at the Defense Intelligence Agency and later at the CIA, I authored all source analytic products to inform policy decisions. Through deployments overseas, including in war zones, I have seen firsthand the key role that intelligence plays in shaping national security and the tremendous sacrifices of our diplomats, intelligence officers, and warfighters. Throughout my career, I've also served in policy roles in the Pentagon and on the National Security Council staff at the White House. These experiences gave me a richer understanding of the vital role and the limitations of intelligence in shaping policy. Most significantly, I gained through these experiences a greater appreciation for the importance of analytic objectivity and the need for the intelligence community to tell the policymaker what they need to know, not what they want to hear. I've been nominated for this position at a time when the United States and its allies are facing a diverse, interconnected array of threats against the backdrop of a global pandemic that is straining governments and societies, fueling unrest and accelerating global competition. From China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, to the continuing threat of terrorism, cyber, emerging technologies, these threats pose new challenges and opportunities. Mr. Chairman, I believe that INR has a unique role to play in addressing these challenges. As the oldest civilian intelligence agency in the United States, the Bureau has a long and proud history of providing policymakers with valuable insights into America's most pressing national security issues while empowering diplomats with the information and analysis needed to advance U.S. foreign policy. If confirmed, I look forward to leading this remarkable institution. I understand the role comes with important responsibilities, including serving as the principal intelligence advisor to the Secretary of State and as the head of one of the nation's 18 intelligence agencies, providing timely, objective, all-source information to inform consideration of foreign and national security policies, and finally, assuring that intelligence and sensitive law enforcement activities are conducted consistent with and supportive of U.S. foreign policy objectives. If confirmed, Four interrelated imperatives will shape my approach to leading INR. First, I will ensure that INR's capabilities and resources are aligned and strategically prioritized to address the most pressing challenges and opportunities, to include China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, as well as global health security, cyber, climate change, and how to capitalize on the revolution in open source intelligence. Second, I will prioritize investments in INR's greatest assets, its people. We must continue to attract, train, and retain the best and brightest while placing much greater emphasis on diversity recruitment. Third, I will focus on upgrading INR's technology to empower its analysts with the tools they need 
to improve the delivery of INR's products and services to better support its customers, especially U.S. diplomats overseas. Finally, I will insist on strong cybersecurity practices throughout INR to safeguard the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of its data systems and networks. In closing, Mr. Chairman, I want to recognize the important role that I believe congressional oversight plays in ensuring that U.S. intelligence activities are lawful, ethical, and consistent with our values. If confirmed, I look forward to partnering closely with Congress as we confront the many challenges ahead. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Um, uh, thank you. Um, Ambassador uh, Quittenbrink. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. I'm deeply grateful to President Biden, Vice President Harris, and Secretary Blinken for their confidence in me. I want to thank my wife, Nami, children, Mia and Joe, my parents, Don and Joyce, and sisters, Kay and Nancy, for their love and support. It would be the honor of a lifetime to serve as Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, a region in which I have been engaged for 24 out of my 27 years in the U.S. Foreign Service. If confirmed, I look forward to consulting closely with the Senate and, of course, with this committee. President Biden and Secretary Blinken have placed diplomacy at the center of U.S. foreign policy and emphasized the centrality of a free and open Indo-Pacific to the security and prosperity of the American people. If confirmed, I would focus on the following six priorities. First, revitalizing ties with allies and partners. Our network of alliances and partnerships is our greatest strategic asset, enabling us to pool our strengths to advance shared interests, deter common threats, and promote universal values. To include our commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific that is rules-based and unconstrained by coercion, the peaceful resolution of disputes, freedom of navigation and overflight, and respect for human rights. If confirmed, strengthening these relationships will be my top priority. The priority placed on our treaty alliances was demonstrated by President Biden's hosting of his Japanese and Republic of Korea counterparts in April and May. The President's hosting of the first ever Quad Leader Summit in March showed the resolve of the Indo-Pacific democracies, Australia, India, Japan, and the United States to work together to support the region. I support ASEAN centrality, and if confirmed, we'll work to strengthen our partnership, our strategic partnership with ASEAN, including treaty allies, Thailand, and the Philippines. If confirmed, I will reinforce our partnership with friends in the Pacific Islands, including our unique relationship with the freely associated states. I will also further develop our robust ties with our democratic partner, Taiwan. Second, prevailing in our strategic competition with China. The People's Republic of China is our biggest geopolitical test. I support approaching the PRC from a position of strength by working with allies and partners, engaging with international organizations, standing up for our values, and investing in our diplomatic and military capabilities and the American people. Secretary Blinken has said our approach to China will have competitive, adversarial, and cooperative aspects. The United States will counter PRC attempts to erode the international rules-based order push back on unfair PRC trade practices, secure critical supply chains, protect sensitive U.S. technology, and build our strength at home. We will continue holding Chinese authorities responsible for the ongoing genocide in Xinjiang, the trampling of autonomy and civil liberties in Hong Kong, and systematic repression in Tibet. We will bolster partners' capacity to resist PRC intimidation and oppose China's unlawful maritime claims. 
We will also cooperate with Beijing when in our interests, such as on the climate crisis, counter-narcotics, and non-proliferation. As President Biden has said, we are not looking for conflict, but welcome stiff competition and will defend U.S. interests across the board. Third, reducing the threat posed by North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. President Biden has stated we remain committed to the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula and will work with allies to address that threat through diplomacy and deterrence. If confirmed, I will work to ensure North Korea and others abide by UN Security Council resolutions while supporting a calibrated and practical diplomatic approach that prioritizes the security of the United States, our allies, and our deployed military forces. Fourth, supporting inclusive economic policies that benefit all Americans. If confirmed, I will ensure that our diplomats in the region fight for every job in the interests of American workers by insisting on market access and fair treatment, stopping intellectual property theft and currency manipulation, and combating corruption. Fifth, promoting democracy and human rights. Our values and our example are critical to successful diplomacy in Asia. If confirmed, I would work with our allies and partners to support democracy, promote human rights, and stand against abuses wherever they occur. In Burma, I would work with partners to press the military to reverse course following the February 1 coup, cease violence, release those unjustly detained, including American citizens, and return Burma to the democratic path chosen by its people. I would work to support the people of Burma by holding accountable those responsible for violence. I would also promote accountability for PRC officials responsible for human rights violations across China. Sixth, if confirmed, I pledge to address global priorities in the region, particularly combating COVID-19 and the climate crisis. If confirmed, I will also prioritize the safety and well-being of my team, maintain their focus on top goals, and ensure they represent the diverse talents of the American people. Thank you for inviting me to testify here today. I look forward to your questions. Well, thank you all. We'll start a round of five minutes. Um, I'm going to ask first, before that, some perfunctory questions that we ask all of our nominees. Uh, it's uh, very brief questions that speak to the importance of this committee places on responsiveness by all officials in the executive branch and uh, that we expect and will be seeking from you. So I just simply ask you each to provide a yes or no answer. Do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when invited? Yes. 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 Uh, do you commit to keep the committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? Yes. 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 Uh, do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation while policies are being developed, not just providing notification after the fact? Yes. yes. And finally, do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes. yes. All right, thank you very much. Um, now, uh, Ambassador uh, Kreitenbrink, uh, as you know, and I think the Senate has spoken with uh, collectively nearly one voice, and that's not easy these days, we believe that China is our major geostrategic challenge uh, in the world. Uh, and you address some of that in, in your remarks. Uh, the Senate passed a sweeping China competitive bill that includes the strategic competition that this committee put out, led by the ranking member and myself and supported by other 19 members of the committee, a truly bipartisan uh, effort. Uh, what do you think of that legislation? What tools 
Uh, would you, if confirmed, want to see in your toolbox that Congress can provide? And can you elaborate on how you plan on approaching the China challenge? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, let me say again what an honor it is to be here today. And I think, uh, uh, Mr. Chairman, you've identified, uh, obviously, very correctly, uh, the major challenge that the United States faces today. And I would argue uh, that our friends and partners around the world uh, face today. Uh, I do believe, Mr. Chairman, as I uh, attempted to outline in my statement, for us to prevail in this strategic competition with China, we need to do so from a position of strength. Uh, I think we are stronger uh, when we do that together with our like-minded partners around, uh, our like-minded partners and allies around the world. Uh, but, Mr. Chairman, I think we uh, will do our best when we are fully united here at home uh, as well. Uh, I'm very grateful to uh, you and members of this committee uh, for the support and leadership that you have shown uh, on these issues. Uh, I know when Secretary Blinken uh, testified uh, last week, he stated his strong support uh, for the bill uh, that you described. And uh, I might say, as a, as a career diplomat, the more tools uh, and resources uh, that the Senate and other members of Congress can give us as diplomats, the more effective uh, we can be. Of course, to prevail in this long-term competition with China, I think it will be largely determined by how we do uh, as a nation together and many of the investments we make here at home. But I'm very grateful for the leadership uh, that the Senate has shown on these issues. And I can pledge to you uh, that with the uh, uh, resources made available to us, uh, we will compete and we will prevail in this competition with China uh, in every domain. Let's talk about some of the elements of that competition. Yes, Taiwan, uh, given the increased muscle, muscle flexing and threatening rhetoric uh, from Beijing, uh, some policymakers and analysts have called for an end to the policy of strategic ambiguity with regards to Taiwan. There is increasing concern that Beijing may seek to make the cross straits an early test for this administration. How can the United States most effectively signal our resolve and deter Chinese aggression towards Taiwan? Mr. Chairman, thank you. I do think showing strength and clarity and uh, deterrence uh, is key. What I think is is crystal clear. Uh, to me, Senator, uh, is uh, the United States commitment, uh, rock-solid commitment to meeting our, our obligations under the Taiwan Relations Act uh, to provide Taiwan uh, with the means to maintain a credible self-defense. If I were confirmed, uh, I pledge to the committee that I will work very hard to uh, support uh, meeting those obligations and further uh, to support uh, uh, further developing our very robust uh, unofficial relationship with our Taiwanese democratic partners. This yeah, is me, one of our most important partners. In let the me community. ask you that. I agree. Don't, uh, do you support strategic ambiguity or do you think we need additional clarity or a new framework for managing the cross-strait relations? Mr. Chairman, my, my own view uh, is that the framework outlined by our longstanding uh, One China policy based on the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, and the six assurances to Taiwan uh, provides the framework uh, that has ensured cross-strait stability and Taiwan's security for these many decades. Mm. Uh, I do think that uh, maintenance uh, of that status quo and of that security is a dynamic situation. As the threat from the PRC grows, as uh, Beijing's uh, aggressive and bullying behavior vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan grows, uh, I think that our uh, response has to be calibrated uh, as well. But I am confident that the framework that we have uh, and meeting those uh, obligations in the Taiwan Relations Act gives us the tools to do so. Mm -hmm. 
Mr. Holmgren, let me ask you, we rely on the Bureau of Intelligence and Research for insights in particular perspective that sometimes varies from the rest of the intelligence uh, community. And when there is an opinion or assessment that's different from the IC, it's critical that we understand those differences. Do you agree to be candid with the committee when those differences occur and to make sure we understand where and why INR comes to different conclusions? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. <clears throat> I think that, as you know, INR has a, has a long and proud history of speaking truth to power and telling it like it is. And if there are instances where INR reaches a conclusion that is different than the rest of the intelligence community, I believe absolutely that, that um, it would require uh, informing and engaging with this committee. Thank you. One other question. Um, the Bureau of Intelligence and Research's analysis is going to be critical to our understanding as policymakers uh, and in response to a number of pressing issues, including the apparent attacks on U.S. personnel and the origins of COVID-19. Do you commit to engaging proactively with the committee as INR's work on these matter advances and to keep us fully informed on your assessments, both on these and other critical matters? Yes, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, Senator Risch. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to follow up, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Crittenbrink, on the uh, Taiwan issue that was raised uh, by the chairman. What um, uh, I had the same questions he had, and uh, I think all of Congress does, really. But what, from your expertise and uh, your experience in this area, what what do you think the end game is here for the uh, uh, for the Chinese Communist Party as far as Taiwan is concerned? How, and how, what do you think the end game is, and how do you think they intend to achieve it? Well, Mr. Ranking Member, I'm I'm reluctant to try to put myself uh, in, in the shoes of the leadership in Beijing, but they have stated uh, that their long term goal uh, is reunification. Uh, I think uh, where uh, I believe that we should remain uh, focused, and if confirmed, where I would remain focused uh, as EAP Assistant Secretary would be uh, on uh, meeting our obligations and responsibilities under the Taiwan Relations Act. I'm confident that we have to, the tools to do so. Uh, for example, uh, through the support of this uh, committee and others in Congress, uh, the United States has made available uh, to the authorities on Taiwan uh, more than $30 billion in arms sales since 2009. I think it's also uh, incumbent upon us to further develop our robust relationship with Taiwan in every sector. Uh, they're a top 10 uh, trading partner, which is vitally important. We have uh, important cultural and other relations as well. Uh, they play a very critical, important role, we believe, in international health. And therefore, we should support um, uh, growing uh, Taiwan's international space as well to make sure that they fully participate in organizations where sovereignty is not required and have a meaningful role uh, in those uh, that do. So I believe, uh, Mr. Ranking Member, that we have the tools uh, to continue uh, to grow this robust partnership with Taiwan uh, and to meet our commitments to ensure that Taiwan can maintain uh, a credible self-defense. I appreciate your thoughts in that regard, all good thoughts. <clears throat> I guess what, uh, what crosses my mind is, is uh, that we all know that the Communist Party wants reunification, but we also know that that's not the same view that Taiwan has. And obviously, uh, where you have uh, two different views that are very much opposed, at some point in time, there's going to come to a crossroads. And that, that's what I'm concerned about is how, what, what happens at that point? What, what, how is that resolved? Yes, sir, Mr. Ranking Member. I think the best thing that we can do uh, is to continue uh, to demonstrate our resolve and our commitment to meeting our, our rock-solid obligations. 
Uh, and I think by, uh, by doing so, uh, I'm confident that we can continue to uh, affect uh, the stability across the strait uh, that we have benefited from uh, for many years. But uh, Mr. Ranking Member, I would again reemphasize we are deeply concerned uh, by the increase in, in aggression uh, and harassment and coercion that we have seen directed uh, at Taiwan and we continue, uh, we intend and if I were confirmed, I would intend to continue to show uh, our resolve uh, to, to again meeting our obligations under the Taiwan Relations Act. I appreciate that. There is no doubt that uh, the uh, coercion and the harassing and everything else has ratcheted up uh, tremendously to the point, for instance, where uh, Taiwan is having trouble scrambling uh, jets every time that uh, there's an incursion into airspace. And uh, uh, that's done intentionally, there's no doubt. And uh, uh, that, that's something that's going to be uh, on our plate, I think, sooner rather than later. Mr. Holmgren, uh, the uh, matter of the uh, Havana syndrome issue, as you know, has been kicking around for some time. And obviously, we're in an open session and can't talk uh, about all the details of it. But I I'm assuming that you've been involved in that in some fashion. Uh, am I right on that or not? Th thank you, Ranking uh, Chairman. Um, I, I very much share the concerns about uh, these incidents. I've spoken to some of the victims of these attacks. And I can tell you they're, they're suffering, their families are suffering. And if confirmed, I would have no higher priority than ensuring the safety and security of, of U.S. citizens, their families, and U.S. personnel uh, overseas, and um, would commit to ensure that INR is continuing to support the department and the interagency, especially uh, CIA and DOD, um, with information and analysis uh, around uh, the origins of these incidents. So I, I believe it is a, a serious abuse. <clears throat> and as a testament, I've committed to asking for a classified briefing, if confirmed, on my first day uh, in office. Well, thank you. I, I, uh, this is certainly a vexing problem, and I can tell you it's very high up on the priority of this committee and the Intelligence Committee, uh, particularly since it affects uh, our hardworking uh, people around the world and uh, outside the United States. Mr. Robinson, uh, the uh, uh, Afghanistan produced uh, and I guess continues to produce about 90% of the world's opium. And uh, with us uh, downsizing in Afghanistan, this is going to be a, the, the problem that it was before we ratcheted up there uh, is going to uh, raise its ugly head again. What, what are your thoughts on this? Thank you, uh, Senator, for, for that uh, question. Um, I share your concerns, uh, frankly, about uh, the uh, production and, and distribution of uh, opioids uh, from Afghanistan. Uh, we know uh, that uh, they are also uh, interested in perhaps trying to get back into government. And my, what I would say to uh, to the to the Taliban and, and to uh, anybody uh, there who's who's uh, producing uh, uh, narcotics or op opioids is that you know if you want to be uh, seen as credible and you want to be treated as part of the international community, then you can't do these things. Um, the other part of that, though, is uh, while we may be drawing down in Afghanistan, uh, there are programs that INL would would wish to continue uh, in in that uh, region. The the hard part is figuring out how to how to do that and keep our people safe. So those are the two uh, sort of the two uh, priorities we would have. One, you know, making sure that we are continuing programs. 
that would go uh, against, uh, obviously, uh, narcotics trafficking and sending very strong messages uh, to those in government that they ha they also have to commit to fighting against the narco narcotics trafficking. Uh, but it is also very important if we're going to continue our programs there, and we want to continue our programs there, to make sure that we are um, uh, taking care of our people and making sure that they can be there safely. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. I understand that Senator Cardin is with us uh, virtually. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. And let me start by thanking all three of our nominees for their prior service to our country and their willingness to serve in these critical uh, positions that they have been appointed to. Uh, I want to uh, talk about uh, the issue of fighting corruption. And Ambassador Robinson, I must tell you, uh, I think you said it very succinctly in your, in your uh, statement, in your testimony, when you said that corruption kills. It also is the fuel for autocrats in fighting democracies and trying to bring our democratic countries down. Uh, Freedom House just recently issued their 2021 report to shows that we have a continuing trend of erosion of democratic states. And one of the principal reasons has been a growth of corruption that fuels uh, this type of activity. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation, but I just really want to drill down a little bit more on specifics. You laid out part of that in your comments to our committee, but I want to just get your assurance that you'll work with Congress and leverage both branches of government in fighting corruption. Uh, there is legislation pending uh, in the United States Senate uh, that I've introduced with, with Republican colleagues, bipartisan legislation that would establish a greater capacity within our missions and state uh, to understand the circumstances of corruption in each country to use a rating system similar to what we do in trafficking in persons so that we can have consequences and international standards as to what we expect countries to do uh, to fight corruption. Uh, we have legislation that would establish specific funds so we can respond quickly to opportunities to help countries deal with corruption. And we have the Magnitsky uh, sanctions uh, to make them permanent. So do I have your assurances that you will work with Congress to strengthen our tools uh, to fight corruption globally? Absolutely, Senator. You have uh, a firm commitment to, uh, to work with Congress uh, to use all of the tools uh, that we have in our toolbox uh, to, to fight corruption. And I will further commit that you won't find uh, a more stronger advocate to fight corruption uh, than me, um, it was uh, uh, to my to my great joy to see the the Biden Harris administration uh, raise corruption uh, to the national security level. Uh, I think that that will uh, that will help us uh, go after um, uh, uh, official corruption, uh, unofficial corruption uh, in the region and and around the world. Um, and further, it will uh, give us uh, uh, greater tools to identify crime fighters around the world um, that, can, that we can partner with uh, to, to, fight this, uh, to fight this scourge. There's no doubt uh, corruption undermines democratic institutions around the world. And, uh, and uh, INL's bread and butter, INL's 
one of INL's uh, main jobs is is going after uh, those who would uh, who would uh, take part in uh, in corrupt acts. I would just uh, quote from my friend Kara Mursa, who's one of the leading uh, um, opposition leaders in Russia, who says that Putin steals from the Russians to spend it in the West. So he uses the corrupt resources in order to try to undermine our system. And we got to speak out against that. The Vignitsky uh, sanctions are, of course, one area. Some of these other tools that we are suggesting can help. I just really want to underscore that we're all sincere about this. But we need the push of Congress to help prioritize within each of the missions countries that have significant problems of corruption uh, to focus on this issue. So uh, I'm going to hold you to your commitment to work with us to strengthen those tools uh, so that we can all fight this a, a little bit more uh, effectively. Uh, Mr. Crittenbrink, uh, Asia, China, of course, is the most significant country in that region from the point of view of concern about the United States on the erosion of, uh, of governance. Their one uh, uh, road policy is, uh, uh, is certainly based upon using market, uh, government-controlled economies and corruption to try to control the economics of the world. Uh, the Belt Road Initiative really needs to be addressed. Do you, are you committed to working with us to root out the way that is based in corruption, stealing intellectual property, uh, intimidating countries, so that we can take China on in a more aggressive way? Yes, Senator, absolutely. Um, I, I, would, uh, I would simply say that I agree with you wholeheartedly that we need to counter uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative as it is offered uh, through means of coercion, uh, corruption, uh, lack of transparency, uh, uh, unsustainable debt loads, and the like. Uh, countries, I think, need to be very careful uh, in signing on to the Belt and Road. But I think uh, even more uh, importantly, uh, Senator, we need to have an affirmative agenda, uh, affirmative programs that we can offer as an alternative. And I'm very grateful to you and other members of Congress for giving us those tools, whether it's the BUILD Act uh, or other resources we have at our disposal. Uh, I would also note, Senator, that I was encouraged by uh, the communique that came out of the G7, and it's quite clear to me that our uh, Democratic partners around the world see eye to eye uh, with us on this challenge. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to working with you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, Senator. Thank you. Senator Haggerty. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, I want to thank each of you for your service. Uh, I'd like to start uh, with you, Mr. Robinson, if I might. Um, the issue that I've been deeply concerned about is fentanyl. And the impact on youth, youth in my home state has been significant, particularly so since the borders have collapsed. In late January, we're seeing an increase not only in overdoses, but in deaths from fentanyl. And I'd, I'd like to read a, a, a definition to you, if I might, uh, to see if we're on the same page. According to United States law, a weapon of mass destruction is defined as the following. One of these definitions is, a weapon that's designed to cause death or serious injury through toxic or poisonous chemicals. Would you define fentanyl as a weapon of mass destruction under these, these sort of circumstances? Uh, Senator, that, that's a, a great question. Uh, I don't know if I would define it as a weapon of mass destruction, but I, I absolutely uh, uh, am heartbroken by what fentanyl is doing to 
uh, our communities uh, across the United States. Um, I think uh, I think that we have a lot of work to do uh, here at home on the demand side. But more importantly, I think that there's uh, very much uh, we can do uh, in terms of diplomatic engagement to to work with our uh, partners in Mexico, to work with our partners in uh, well, to work with China, um, to to stop the flow of precursors to Mexico uh, and stop the uh, distribution from Mexico by. Uh, narcotics. Yes, I was just in Mexico uh, about two weeks ago meeting with their foreign minister and economic minister, and they are deeply concerned at the increase in inflow of fentanyl and its precursors from China coming into Mexico. It's being mixed there, shipped across the borders, and killing our children. So as a parent, as an American, I very much appreciate your efforts here, and I look forward to working with you should you be confirmed uh, in pushing back against what I would call a weapon of mass destruction that's being unleashed against our population here. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, Ambassador Crittenbrink, it's wonderful to see you again. My regards to Nami and to your two children. Um, Again, thank you for your service uh, at a a most challenging time. I think you are the perfect person to be brought forward for this position. Um, I'd I'd like to talk with you about an area that you and I have had plenty of conversations before, and that's that's the Quad and the Indo-Pacific. I think that we have made great strides with our allies in the Quad, I think there's a lot more that we can do. I'd love to get your perspective on how we might engage other nations in that effort. Thank you, Senator, very much for, for your comments. I fully agree. I, I think the Quad uh, is in a vitally important mechanism. Um, I was uh, deeply impressed and grateful for uh, the President's hosting of the first ever Leaders Level Quad Summit, and I think it truly has shown that the, the four Quad democracies in the region have decided to stand together and advance these interests and these values that we share. Um, but they've also agreed, we have also agreed, to work in very practical areas. Mm-hmm. And I think as a, as a career diplomat, uh, I'm focused on uh, the ways in which we, together with our partners, can move the needle uh, in the region in practical uh, ways. So uh, the, 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 the Quad Leaders Summit uh, issued a, a roadmap and a work plan for the mm-hmm. rest of the year. Uh, focused on public health, uh, uh, particularly combating COVID-19, focusing on climate, uh, but also issues related to technology. And I know you and I have discussed uh, that uh, in in detail. I think think we need to focus in those practical ways, but I do agree with you, Senator. It can't be just the Quad. It has to be uh, all of our like-minded partners, Mm -hmm. whether it's our treaty allies, whether it's our important friends and partners in ASEAN or, or across the region. I think most of the region is united behind a vision of a region that is peaceful, stable, where countries large and small play by the rules. Yeah. Large countries don't buy, uh, bully small countries. I think that's where we need to focus. But I appreciate I your perspective. Senator, on the quad is central. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective on that. I'd just like to turn to one more thing, and that is the movement of supply chains from China, uh, out, you know, companies that are trying to de-risk their exposure to China. Of course, I want every one of those companies to come back to American shores to see those jobs back in America. But to the extent that those jobs don't come back here, what are the opportunities that we might have with some of our allies in the region to work together for joint economic prosperity, to work together to strengthen our economic ties, and that will bring our national security ties even closer? Thank you, Senator. I, I fully agree. Um, I think we need to focus on supply chain resiliency, mm-hmm. uh, security, uh, to make sure that neither we nor the world are completely uh, dependent upon and vulnerable to one country uh, again. Uh, As we do that, the preference, of course, would be to bring most of those home. Uh, Where that is not possible, I think ensuring that those supply chains are diversified and resilient and strong uh, is key, particularly working with like-minded 
Democratic partners, I think especially in the uh, technology space, especially related mm -hmm. to semiconductors, but also as we discovered in COVID-19, uh, even personal protective equipment and other medical equipment is key. But I, I think w when I think about our competition uh, with China, I do think these issues related to our economic uh, competition, particularly related to uh, technology and the resilience of our supply chains will probably be central to that competition. And I would be committed to doing everything possible, uh, both within the State Department and across the U.S. government to advance well, those interests. Should you be confirmed, I look forward to working with you closely. And Thank you, Senator. Dimensions. Thank you for your service, Ambassador Crittenbrink. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Senator. Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thanks to this panel of uh, nominees. I think you're all very highly qualified for these positions. Look forward to supporting you. Ambassador Crittenbrink, I think I'm going to spend my five minutes with you talking about a topic that matters a lot to me, the Chinese persecution of Uyghurs in the Xinjiang province. Um, yes, there is a sizable Uyghur population in Virginia. And I've talked to many of my constituents, um, as well as just following news about this. The leadership of Xi Jinping has seen China not only become bolder and more effective in projecting malign influence and power worldwide, but uh, the government has become more ruthless in many ways, uses of technology, forced sterilization, separation of families, in attempting to reduce and disperse its Uyghur Muslim population, both Secretaries of State Pompeo um, and Blinken uh, have indicated that this is a, a genocide under the technical term, an intentional and very strategic effort in the words of China's own officials, to basically um, carry out a, the, the elimination or reduction of the Uyghur population and, and other uh, Muslim populations in, in Zhenjiang province. Last week, we had a joint uh, subcommittee hearing uh, in yes, this uh, committee. It was the first joint subcommittee hearing we'd had in seven years, and it was about China's atrocities in the Zhenjiang province. Um, the uh, chair, subcommittee I chair on Western Hemisphere, Global Democracy and Human Rights worked together with the subcommittee on East Asia chaired by Senator Markey. Senators Rubio and Romney were very involved in this. And we heard from a number of witnesses in very powerful ways. One was my constituent, Ms. Roshan Abbas. She spoke very movingly about her sister, Dr. Gulshan Abbas, who has been in detention for three years, her, her birthday was last Saturday, her third birthday in prison. They know she's in prison, they don't know where she is, but they did find out that she was secretly sentenced in a secret trial to a 20 year uh, prison term. She's a physician who had made her career in the Xinjiang province just helping patients. U.S. efforts, global efforts thus far to combat the terrible atrocity have not been effective. So what more can we do as a committee and, as an administration, as a country, to increase pressure on China to end this grim persecution of the Uyghur and other Muslim populations in Xinjiang. Senator, thank you very much for uh, your comments and your leadership on this issue. Uh, I agree completely with your assessment of the challenge. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, viewing most of your hearing uh, last week, and uh, I too was moved uh, by the testimony, particularly of Ms. Uh, Abbas. Um, the ongoing genocide in, in Xinjiang shocks uh, the conscience. Uh, we estimate more than one million Uyghurs have been forcibly detained, uh, put into re-education camps, uh, uh, forced to provide uh, labor, uh, and many other disturbing allegations about how uh, they are being treated. Uh, 
I think, Senator, uh, working together with this committee, uh, our obligation is to continue to shine a very bright light uh, on this ongoing genocide, and I've been gratified to see that our other partners uh, around the world, whether it's the G7, our Japanese and Korean partners, or our Quad uh, partners as well, have all spoken out against the abuses uh, happening there. Uh, but more importantly, uh, Senator, I think we need to continue to take steps using all the tools that the U.S. government has at, at its disposal uh, to hold to account the leaders who are carrying out uh, these atrocities. And if I were confirmed, I would be committed to doing just that. I know that we've used a variety of tools, including uh, global Magnitsky tools, uh, to sanction a number of the leaders, uh, officials, uh, and entities who are carrying out this repression in Xinjiang, including uh, the Xinjiang uh, Party Secretary Chen Tuenguo. And uh, if I were confirmed, Senator, uh, I pledge that we would continue to work uh, not just to shine a bright light on the abuses, but also to take steps to hold uh, those responsible accountable. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Two uh, additional items in my last 40 seconds related to the same topic first. Um, a lot of U.S. companies may be directly or indirectly, even unknowingly, uh, facilitating this persecution in Xinjiang through their uh, contacts in the region. Human Rights Watch had a witness before us last week, Dr. Sophie Richardson, who indicated that they have written to U.S. companies to get information and try to make sure the companies are aware of the dangers, and they generally have not gotten responses. It's my hope that we might work together with you should you be confirmed so that a request by the U.S. government might produce a response from some of these companies. Um, and then in addition, we need to work with allies outside the region. Uh, China is engaged in a pretty aggressive practice of uh, ha having Uyghurs arrested yes, in countries like the UAE and Egypt and Saudi Arabia, allies in the United States, and then deported back uh, to China. And uh, we need to work with our allies to make sure that they don't facilitate the long arm of this gruesome uh, persecution campaign all over the globe. And I would look forward to working with you on that together as well. Yes, sir. Senator, again, uh, I fully agree with your uh, assessment and your recommendation on both points. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you and members of the committee on both of those issues. Great. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. I understand Senator uh, Young is with us virtually. Yes, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you so much. Ambassador Robinson, um, in the midst of this global pandemic, uh, Americans have, have continued to suffer under the scourge of narcotics trafficking, uh, much of that uh, being trafficked uh, through our, our southern border. Despite some public calls for the designation, the Trump administration notably refrained from designating the Mexican drug cartels as a foreign terrorist organization. As the cartels use kidnapping, execution-style killings, the targeted killing of journalists and politicians, and with the flow of narcotics, and violence into the United States continuing unabating, it, it seems clear that the legal standard for this designation of foreign terrorist organization has been met, but I understand that Mexico may oppose such a designation. If confirmed, Mr. Ambassador, would you consider such a designation? Uh, thank you, Senator, for that, uh, for that question. Um, and I absolutely share your concerns with uh, about uh, the the malign influence of uh, narcotics traffickers um, and uh, the threats they pose to communities throughout the region. Um, I think you know it's probably worth you know looking at. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know what the legal definition uh, is. 
but there is no doubt that the the influence of narcotic traffickers uh, throughout the region uh, is is crushing um, to to communities not just in the United States but in Mexico, uh, in Colombia, uh, and in, and throughout Central America. Um, and uh, I, I will certainly commit to you that we will use all of our, uh, the necessary tools uh, to go after uh, these these uh, criminal organizations and uh, and traffickers. Well, I, I thank you for that. Um, perhaps you can. Uh, I understand you're not being an you're not an attorney, and uh, you'll want to refer to uh, others' analysis. I am an attorney. I don't want to overstate my qualifications uh, to make this uh, assessment, and, and attorneys can disagree, but it seems to me that the, the legal definition is indeed met as I look at the different uh, pillars that uh, need to be analyzed. Uh, time does not permit me to get into those, but I also understand that there will be diplomatic considerations uh, that play into this. What secondary effects? may undermine the effectiveness uh, of such a designation. Now, this would be diplomatic analysis on your part. No, I, I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a great question. Um, I would, you know, I would have to, to talk to, uh, you know, should I be confirmed? I would make it my, my, one of my missions uh, to talk to governments in the region to, to find out uh, what secondary uh, effects there may be. Um, I, I certainly don't see uh, 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 why there would be obstacles to uh, to using maximum efforts to go after the narcotics traffickers uh, and criminal organizations. And if this is a tool that we could effectively use, um, I would certainly want to engage with uh, with the governments in the region and and uh, governments globally uh, to see what what further we could do. Uh, to sanction these uh, these groups. Well, listen, I, I'll look forward to working with you on that. Uh, I'm encouraged by uh, uh, what seems to be a uh, an aggressive bias for action on this. I expect the Mexicans uh, may indicate uh, a lack of motivation to work with us uh, on other matters if we, if we go this direction. Uh, that could be a concern, and there may be some uh, an increased migration flow into this country of uh, Mexican nationals fleeing terrorism uh, if the terrorist designation is made. But uh, with that said, um, would you commit to working with my office uh, in in working through this matter? Should you be confirmed, sir? Uh, should I be confirmed? Absolutely, Senator. I will work with your office. Okay, thank you. I know our time is winding down. I just wanted to put one other matter, uh, a stake sort of in the ground about my interest in it. Perhaps we can work together uh, should you be confirmed. One of the missions of your bureau uh, is to uh, uh, enforce maritime rights and practice law enforcement at sea uh, in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, admittedly, uh, uh, Ambassador Robinson, this is a mission larger than any single federal agency. It will involve collaboration and cooperation with the Navy and the Coast Guard and other entities and agencies and individuals. Um, and given China's predatory actions at sea throughout the uh, Pacific, uh, I would be interested in exploring uh, your priorities for uh, 
INL's practicing of, of maritime law enforcement throughout the Pacific, especially in Oceania, and seeing uh, where INL might better coordinate with the Coast Guard moving forward. I'd, I'd like to help do anything I can to uh, ensure that uh, uh, INL is successful in this mission. So uh, thank you for your desire to serve. Thank you, Senator. And, and I, I agree. Uh, I think the, that INL has a fairly good story to tell uh, about cooperation uh, in that region uh, on, on maritime security. I, I know when I was uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary, we worked very closely uh, with, um, with uh, partner uh, countries, allies in, in the region uh, on that issue. Uh, we did the same in uh, West Africa, and and so uh, I'd be happy to, uh, uh, should I be confirmed, work with your office on this. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Shaheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to each of you for your willingness to be considered for these critical posts at this time. Um, I'd like to begin with you, Ambassador Robinson, because I come from a state that has been very hard hit by the opioid epidemic and fentanyl has been the killer. We have, one of, have had one of the highest overdose death rates in the country, and so I share the concerns that have been expressed on both sides of the aisle about how we respond to this, and I appreciated your comments. Um, Senator Portman, who's also a member of this committee, and I recently introduced legislation to build the capacity of foreign law enforcement agencies to detect and interdict fentanyl and other synthetic drugs. And also to try and increase collaboration between the United States and foreign countries. As someone who's worked in this arena in the past, can you tell me if you think there are particular best practices or um, areas where cooperation has really worked to make a difference to address this issue? Uh, thank you, Senator. And it, it's a very important point, and I, I just want to emphasize uh, uh, how how heartbreaking it is to know, to, to see the ravages of this drug uh, on American communities, and particularly communities like your state, um, uh, in your state. Uh, actually, INL, uh, working on the inter with the interagency, uh, working with our partners in DEA and the Department of Justice, uh, we have been able to uh, do lots of training um, and capacity building uh, uh, globally, um, working with uh, like-minded uh, 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 police organizations uh, in countries around the world on training, uh, identifying uh, strategies, you know, go making sure they're looking at going after the money um, and uh, and going after governments that participate in these things. So there's a there's a whole range of uh, of uh, tools that we can use. Uh, to work with police organizations on these issues, and I'd be happy to uh, explore that with uh, your your office uh, should I be confirmed. Well, thank you. Perhaps you could look at the legislation that we're introducing and see if there are ways that we can make it more effective and other um, authorizations or other needs that you might have um, at INL. Yeah, absolutely, Senator. Thank you. Mr. Holmgren, You've been asked um, about Havana syndrome, and this is something that my office heard about almost immediately after the attacks because I have some constituents who have been affected by it. And I'm still concerned that six months into this new administration that we are still hearing from some of those people who have been affected about the lack of coordination, about the 
um, inability to meet with leadership, and particularly at state, about the willingness of state to cooperate with the Department of Defense and the red tape that's still involved with getting treatment. So can you commit to not just trying to get to the bottom of that, that but to finding out um, what's causing it and why there isn't more, um, at this point, coordination around how we're responding to this um, serious concern that's affecting too many employees within the federal government? Thank you, Senator, for that um, uh, important question and for your leadership <clears throat> Excuse me on this issue. Um, I absolutely commit to understanding um, if there are uh, ways and, and how we can improve the interagency coordination process on this, and in particular, what role INR can and should be playing to both support the department, but also, as you mentioned, the interagency. I understand that the NSC has established a coordination cell. I think that's a good, a very good positive development to bring together the different parts of the interagency. Um, and that state has now has a lead um, a person responsible for coordinating the State Department's efforts. And so if confirmed, I'm, I'm eager to be involved in that. As I said up front, I have friends and former colleagues from from CIA and uh, other places that um, you know, that are affected by this, and so I think it's I take it as a personal uh, responsibility um, to address the issue. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, and and I will say to you what I've said to others that I think one of the challenges with this issue is the classified nature of all of the information, and it makes it very difficult when there's an unwillingness of our state departments and agencies to share with members of Congress what's going on and also to share with members of the public. So I would urge you to look at ways in which we can unclassify information that is not going to be harmful so that people really understand what's going on. Thank you, Senator. I, I hear your concern and I pledge to, uh, to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Ambassador Schatz. Thank you. Uh Senator Schatz, I was giving you, I don't know if it's a promotion. <laughs> some, some would consider it a promotion. We can ask yeah. Ambassador Haggerty if that's a promotion or not. Uh, he's here, so I don't know. That may be the answer. I'm sorry. Senator Schatz. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Thank you all for your service. Uh, uh, Ambassador Crittenbrink, I, I want to start with uh, Oceania. Uh, yes, Secretary Blinken spoke at the Pacific Island Conference of Leaders a, a week ago. Um, these kinds of engagements are really meaningful. They underscore our commitment to the region, including helping them to confront COVID and the climate crisis. Can you just talk about how you will engage in Oceania and your role to ensure that it'll be elevated in our Indo-Pacific strategy? And I think, you know, generally speaking, as we think on this committee, in the, in the broader Senate, uh, in the media, when we think about our Asia-Pacific strategy, when we think our Indo-Pacific strategy, Everyone is immediately thinking about China and China only. Yes, and it occurs to me that there is a vast ocean full of nations yes, sir. Um, um, that, that we need to um, re-engage with, that are our longtime partners and allies and friends. Um, and for both moral reasons and strategic reasons, we need to re-engage. And I'm wondering if you can comment yes, on that. Senator, thank you very much for your comments and for your leadership uh, on these issues. I fully agree uh, with your assessment. Uh, uh, if confirmed, I would be committed to making sure we expand our robust uh, engagement with the countries, that, with the Pacific Island countries. I, I think, Senator, the first issue that you identified is one of the most important. First, we have to show up. Uh, we have to demonstrate our commitment by 
engaging and participating uh, in, in uh, meetings and organizations like uh, the PIF. Uh, secondly, Senator, uh, I believe that we need to engage across the board because we have a number of vital national interests that are implicated uh, amongst our Pacific Island friends. Uh, you mentioned climate, of course, uh, important security uh, issues at play, uh, issues related to uh, illegal and unregulated uh, fishing. Uh, of course, climate change is an existential threat uh, for many of these partners. And of course, uh, COVID-19 is a great challenge uh, across the region. If I were confirmed, Senator, I would be committed to uh, upping our engagement uh, across the board to advance those interests and to ensure uh, that our strategic competitors like China as well uh, do not take advantage uh, or use their malign influence to advance their interests at the expense uh, of ours uh, or our partners in the Pacific Islands. Thank you. Uh, Ambassador Robinson, I want to stay uh, on Oceania uh, for, for the moment. I introduced a bill with Senator Murkowski to elevate all of Oceania in U.S. foreign policy. One aspect of this bill is to increase our ability to counter the Chinese government's uh, foreign practices, uh, foreign corrupt practices in Oceania, and much of that work uh, runs through INL. We've heard, though, that um, INL doesn't have the resources to be present in the Oceania region to the extent that you may wish, and that they've had to make, quote unquote, hard choices about not prioritizing the Pacific Islands. Um, I was glad, however, to see that the President's budget carves out funding in INL to counter the Chinese government's global malign influence campaign. But we need to make sure that Oceania is part of that effort. Can you talk about what you see uh, in Oceania and what we ought to do about it through INL? Thank you, Senator. I think that's a that's a very important question. Um, you know, lar as as you have pointed out, most of our focus has been uh, on focusing on the malign influence of uh, of China uh, in the region. Um, I, I suspect I, I would have to uh, look more closely, but I suspect um, much of the work we're going to do, INL would do in the region, uh, if I'm confirmed, uh, would would focus on uh, 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 China's malign influence. But there are, you know, there are other issues in the region that we can, that we sh can and should focus on. And we spoke about it a little earlier, working with like-minded partners on um, uh, maritime safety, for instance, uh, will be key. And, you know, INL can, can take a look at uh, uh, issues a little bit outside of uh, uh, our area. We, we do work on wildlife trafficking. We do work on uh, illegal mining. We do work on illegal uh, fisheries. And so all of those issues, or many of those issues, might get us uh, closer to the region and closer to uh, the, the issues uh, that you're, you're raising. Final question, I'll make it quick. Uh, you know, I've been working on Lacey Act amendments. I know Senator Merkley and others have prioritized this over, over the many, many years. The thing with the Lacey Act is it doesn't quite get to about half of all of the tropical deforestation, which is the result of illegal deforestation for commercial agriculture. And so I'm wondering if we can work with you and the other relevant federal agencies to get more supply chain transparency and also to dig into the root causes that that um, result in deforestation, clear-cutting for, for agriculture and for commodity development. Um, the Lacey Act was a very important start, but we've, we're sort of stuck there. And even our partners in the business community who want to do the right thing have great difficulty in terms of the supply chain transparency. So I think it's time for another round of collective thinking about what's the next iteration of the Lacey Act 
so that we can actually uh, make sure that we don't just declare that we find uh, illegal deforestation offensive to us and to the globe, but that we're actually going to crack down on it. And I'm wondering if I can have your commitment to work with us on that. Absolutely, Senator. You have my commitment. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Van Hall. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member. Congratulations to all of you on your nominations. Um, let me start uh, with you, Ambassador Crinton Brink. Um, yes, sir. I was pleased to see uh, the statements made by President Biden uh, and others uh, at the recent NATO summit regarding a more coordinated, uh, coherent strategy uh, with respect to China's efforts to use its centralized economic power to export its authoritarian uh, model. And I was uh, pleased to hear your response to Senator Haggerty with respect to the Quad. And yes, you sir. also mentioned other uh, allies in the area, including, of course, uh, South Korea uh, and others. Um, one of the important issues that's come up uh, with respect to the situation in the South China Sea is the importance of something many of us have been in favor of for a long time, which is ratifying the Law of the Sea Treaty. Um, in your opinion, um, would that be an important step that the United States could take along with the international community to provide clear rules of the road that would benefit uh, not just the United States, but others in the region around the world? Senator, thank you very much for uh, your question. I know that when Secretary Blinken was uh, asked that same question uh, in testimony last week, he stated that he was uh, not yet aware if there was an administrative uh, administration position, but that he personally uh, uh, supported uh, the ratification and believed it would be helpful. I, I think what I would say, uh, Senator, is whatever we can do to reinforce uh, the rules-based international order where countries large and small play by the rules, uh, the better. Uh, the great irony, of course, is that even though the United States is not ratified on close, we do abide by it uh, because we believe it represents customary international law. China, of course, has ratified it uh, and violates it on a daily basis. No nonetheless, uh, Senator, I, am, uh, I would be supportive of any action that strengthens uh, our position on maritime issues, including our legal right. position. So, so wouldn't it put the United States uh, in a stronger position vis-a-vis -vis China and its violations of the law of the sea? treaty if the United States were a party to the agreement? Uh, uh, well, uh, I would associate myself with Secretary Blinken's uh, comments on that last right. week. I'll take that. I, I understand. I, he, he said he was personally in favor of it. and I uh, Thank you, Senator. I, uh, but, but can so, I just underscore, I, I think you've hit the nail right on the head that uh, we have to advance our interests in supporting a rules-based international order. Many other things we need to do in the maritime domain as well, but that's a key one. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, let me ask you about a piece of legislation that we passed a couple years ago here. It was called the Brink Act. Uh, I authored it together with Senator Toomey. And it was designed to close some of the loopholes in the sanctions that we've imposed on uh, North Korea. Uh, mm. There was a recent UN panel of experts uh, report on the implementation of international sanctions uh, against uh, North Korea. And they painted a picture of a very leaky sanctions uh, regime, especially uh, with respect to some goods flowing uh, from China. Uh, they also mentioned uh, key imports, refined petroleum and coal, had surged uh, into North Korea last year. So the Brink Act establishes a secondary sanctions regime, similar to the earlier uh, Iran sanctions uh, regime that helped bring Iran to the table uh, for the JCPOA. Uh, could you commit to working with us and the Department of Treasury uh, to make sure that we fully apply this law? And 
what is your current assessment of um, you know, the, the role sanctions can play in putting pressure on the North Korean uh, regime? Senator, thank you very much. Uh, if confirmed, I can assure you that I would look forward to working with you uh, and your team on these issues. Uh, as I noted at the outset, the Biden administration, uh, Biden-Harris administration is committed to, to the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. And uh, uh, if confirmed, I would support uh, an approach that relies both on sanctions enforcement and deterrence, uh, as well as a practical calibrated approach uh, open to democracy. Uh, if confirmed, uh, I'd be delighted to uh, learn more about the Brink Act and how we can strengthen the sanctions regime. But Senator, I do agree enforcing the sanctions regime with tools that we have together with UN tools, I think is vitally important uh, to the denuclearization goals that we have. Uh, th thank you. And uh, again, th thank all of you um, uh, for your service. And Mr. Holgram, let me just say, I, I think INR is one of those great agencies in the federal government that punches way above its weight. So I hope you'll hold your own within the uh, IC, because in my experience, uh, INR has called it right um, more than the other agencies uh, on average. Thank you, Senator. It's, it's an honor to be uh, nominated to lead INR. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Cruz. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congratulations to each of the three of you. Uh, Mr. Holgram, let's start with you. If confirmed, you would be the principal intelligence advisor to the secretary and other State Department principals. You would be charged with driving the intelligence apparatus advising the Secretary of State on the risks and the benefits of reentering any nuclear deal with Iran. I want to ask you about that. One of the most troubling aspects of the catastrophic Obama-Iran nuclear deal were the enormous holes in verifying Iranian compliance. Some of those holes were obvious, such as giving Iran weeks to clean up sites before inspections and functionally prohibiting inspection of military facilities. Others were less obvious, but even more damaging. One side deal forced the IAEA, the United Nations Nuclear Watchdog, to prematurely close investigations into past Iranian nuclear weapons work, leaving the scope and the nature of Iran's weapons program unknown. According to Bloomberg, the Obama administration provided Congress with a classified annex saying that the deal could still be verified if Iran fully complied and didn't cheat. Today we know, of course, the deal failed to detect vast portions of Iran's nuclear weapons program. We know it because of daring raids and revelations by our Israeli allies. We know that between the implementation of the deal in January 26 to May 2018, the IAEA was not aware that Iran was concealing a nuclear weapons archive. Nor was the IAEA aware that Iran was contain, was contain, had containers at a warehouse uh, called Turkozbad, where the IAEA later reportedly discovered traces of man-altered uranium. The agency subsequently visited three other undisclosed sites and found nuclear material at two of them. The IAEA has never inspected any facility run by the SPND, a military organization employing nuclear weapon scientists, 
which until last year was run by the founder of Iran's nuclear weapons program. That's unknown sites and zero military facilities inspected. Despite all of this, the Biden administration is rushing to reenter the, the Iran deal. Mr. Holgram, do you support reentering the deal in light of those failures? Senator Cruz, th thank you for that question. As a, um, as a former intelligence analyst who focused on the Middle East, I, I very much appreciate the multidimensional threat that Iran poses, their state sponsorship of terrorism, their nuclear ambitions, um, cyber uh, human rights violations, um, and their uh, you know, ballistic missile capabilities. So I very much appreciate the threat. Um, if confirmed to lead INR, which is what uh, part of the intelligence community, my commitment to you and the, to this entire committee is that we will supply objective information and analysis regarding all of Iran's malign activities to include its compliance with the, with, um, with the nuclear requirements as part of the JCPOA, um, even if those conclusions diverge from you know, policy interests, but especially, because I think it's even more important mm -hmm. uh, if the intelligence community has a different view based on uh, all sorts of information um, of where policymakers are, that we would absolutely uh, provide that information to support the secretary, but also other policymakers as well as this committee. In your assessment, what additional measures would be required to close the loopholes that allowed these failures in the prior deal? Senator, I'm not, I'm not privy to the, uh, I haven't been in government the last few years, so I'm not privy to the, uh, any classified details and additional measures, but I, what, what I could tell you is that from an intelligence perspective, I think having an incredibly strong collection and analytic regime mm -hmm. focused on Iran's compliance would be, certainly would be a top priority. As I mentioned in my opening remarks, you know, I view Iran as one of the top big four threats we face, and so making sure that INR has the resources and the expertise to, uh, to, to provide objective analysis would absolutely be a priority for me, sir. Okay, and Mr. Crittenbrink, the Obama administration implemented a policy that forbade our Taiwanese allies from displaying symbols of their sovereignty, whether flags or medals or uniforms, on U.S. soil. During the Trump administration, I pressed the Trump administration to change that policy to reverse the ban, and they did so. Unfortunately, after Secretary Blinken came through his confirmation hearing where I asked him about it, and he committed to maintaining the policy of allowing Taiwan to display its symbols of sovereignty, subsequently the Biden State Department reversed that policy and now prohibits our Taiwanese allies from displaying their symbols of sovereignty. This committee just a few weeks ago took up legislation I had to reverse the new Biden ban and to return to the pre-existing policy that allowed Taiwan, like our other allies, to display their symbols of sovereignty. This committee passed that overwhelmingly. The Senate passed it overwhelmingly in a bipartisan manner. If confirmed, will you restore the previous policy, allowing our Taiwanese allies to display their symbols of sovereignty? And if not, why not? Senator, thank you very much for, uh, for the question. Uh, I want to emphasize at the outset, Senator, uh, if confirmed, I would be absolutely committed to growing our uh, robust and vitally important partnership with democratic uh, Taiwan. I would argue that our partnership with Taiwan is perhaps stronger than it's ever been from our, uh, our commitments uh, demonstrated under the Taiwan Relations Act, including $30 billion in arms sales 
uh, since 2009 to the provision of vaccines to our close health cooperation to uh, the visit by uh, three members of the Senate uh, in just the last few weeks. I think we've made clear uh, our commitment to growing that uh, partnership uh, with Taiwan. Uh, Senator, uh, since, um, uh, since 1979, for, for decades now, uh, the United States uh, has followed uh, a set of contact guidelines for our engagement uh, with Taiwan. Uh, and uh, my understanding, Senator, is for decades now, uh, those guidelines have outlined uh, that uh, during our important engagements with our uh, unofficial, uh, our Taiwan uh, counterparts to advance our unofficial relationship, that symbols of sovereignty are not allowed on uh, U.S. government property. And those guidelines, uh, as I understand them, Senator, uh, have been in place uh, for decades and were in place for the vast majority uh, of the, the previous administration uh, as well. Uh, based on the briefings and discussions that I've had, Senator, the new guidelines that have been enacted uh, under the Biden administration are significant, significantly liberalized. They are explicitly designed to uh, further develop our relationships uh, and our partnership uh, with Taiwan, and they have been welcomed uh, by uh, the Taiwan leadership, including uh, President Tsai herself. So I can assure you, Senator, that I am committed in every way to growing our partnership with Taiwan, and I will hasten to add that, of course, uh, I will always uh, enforce uh, uh, U.S. law. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ambassador Robertson, I'm going to close up with you, I think, because this will be the last uh, set of questions. I don't want you to think I... You have no, none of my attention, so uh, uh, let me just briefly make a statement about Mexico. Uh, I have some deep concerns about Mexico over the last year. Uh, in the fall, the United States arrested Mexico's former defense minister on drug trafficking charges. Very literally, this case highlighted that Mexican drug trafficking organizations are capable of co-opting individuals at the highest levels of Mexico's government. When we released General Sinfuegos, albeit under some rather murky circumstances, the Lopez Obrador government responded by publishing U.S. law enforcement documents in violation of our mutual legal assistance treaty and then pushing a law to the Mexican Congress that seemed intent on constraining bilateral law enforcement cooperation. Now, I understand how important the U.S. Uh, trade, economic, political, and security relationship is with Mexico, and I'm fully supportive of efforts to strengthen it. However, we have to be clear-eyed. We cannot ignore evidence about the links between certain members of Mexico's security forces and drug traffickers. So if confirmed, I trust you will give these issues your full attention. Absolutely, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I share your concerns and uh, look forward, uh, should I be confirmed, to working uh, with the interagency and working with uh, the Congress uh, to addressing and, and uh, focusing on these issues. And one last question for you. We had a very good in-depth discussion, so a lot of the issues have been raised, as I, as I thought, fentanyl and others uh, have been raised. I'm increasingly concerned by reports that the Assad regime is earning hard currency in the face of international sanctions and a cratering currency and economy by manufacturing and exporting Captagon, a potent and addictive amphetamine, uh, amphetamine, often with the cooperation of Hezbollah. This drug is being smuggled often by Hezbollah across Lebanon's uh, border with Syria, 
and through Lebanon's weak import and export controls to be distributed throughout Europe and the Middle East, prompting bans on Lebanese exports recently that the Lebanese economy can ill afford. What steps can we take to counter such drug smuggling, including assistance to strengthen the Lebanese border and customs enforcement? Uh, Mr. Chairman, that's a great question. Um, INL has a, a great track record on working with the government of Lebanon on training and capacity building, and we would continue, uh, should I be confirmed, I, I would make sure that we would continue to do that. Um, I would also say that we can work with the interagency. We have been working with the inter- interagency uh, to track these uh, shipments, particularly with DEA, uh, and working with like-minded partners in the region. We know Saudi Arabia uh, is particularly concerned about uh, about this uh, the trafficking of this drug, um, and we can continue to work with like-minded partners on this issue. Well, I, 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 w- I just want to highlight it because, of course, we all often hear about fentanyl, as we should, because it's causing deaths in America. Uh, but in this case of this Captagon, you've got a lot of bad players. You have Hezbollah, you have uh, Assad, uh, and uh, undermining uh, what little uh, is left of the Lebanese economy. That's a bad trifecta at the end of the day. So uh, I hope that you'll uh, make it one of your priorities upon confirmation. I share your concern, uh, Chairman, and, and should I be confirmed, uh, we will absolutely track it. Thank you. All right. With that, uh, with the thanks of the committee, um, this record will remain open until tomorrow at the close of business. There may be questions for the record. We'd urge the nominees to answer those questions expeditiously so you can be considered uh, for a, a business meeting. And with that, this hearing is adjourned.